Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Business Advisor Podcast, brought to you by CG Tax Audit and Advisory. I'm your host, Scott Seidenberg, and it's been a crazy time in our country. The election has passed, or actually has it, I'm not quite sure. But hey, by the time you're listening to this podcast, perhaps things have settled down. What we do know is that both candidates, President Trump and Vice President Biden, had different tax plans that would shape the course of the next four years and possibly more. With President-elect Biden's plan, there are many changes that we'll discuss here on this episode. There are changes to estate, payroll, corporate, and individual taxation, and these changes affect everyone differently and can be quite complicated. To help explain it are two guests, Don Cowan and Mike Damola. Don is the managing partner at CG Tax Audit and Advisory and has been with the firm for nearly 40 years. He serves as a business advisor to privately held companies and high net worth individuals in a variety of industries to help clients improve business, create wealth, and achieve goals. Mike, meanwhile, makes his return to the podcast. He is the shareholder in charge of the tax services group at CG Tax Audit and Advisory, and he's spent over 30 years with the firm. Mike is recognized in the business community for his advanced tax research preparation and planning, in addition to analyzing and structuring tax-related transactions. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, and for Mike making your return, I guess you should feel honored that we asked you to come back. You did so well the first time. We needed a little more of you. Yeah, thank you, Scott. It's great to be here again, uh, along with my partner, Don Cowan, and uh, we hope to share a lot of exciting and new information for the listeners. Yeah, and Don, I, I, I want to start, and, and we have to preface this. All of the conversation that we're going to have today about President-elect Biden's tax proposals are just that, proposals, right? Because a lot of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode could change dramatically. Absolutely, Scott. Just to give you an example, when President Trump was first elected and he um, became president on January 20th, 2017, he immediately put in, put up a tax proposal. And that was not passed until December 22nd, 2017, which is basically 10, almost 10 to 11 months after he first became president. And therefore, none of it was retroactive, and it wasn't even put in place to really 2018. So in this case, some of the things we're talking about, they might not go they not be, might not become um, instituted until uh, 2022. Wow. And obviously, with the state of the political climate in this country, with the House and the Senate and the White House, it, you know, who knows uh, how everything could play out. But as far as the proposed tax plan and, and all the information can be found on President-elect Biden's website, and these are things that he has specified throughout his campaign, there's going to be changes to both corporate and individual taxation as well as uh, estate and payroll. But I want to focus in on corporate to start. And, and Mike, can you just go over some of the changes to the corporate tax rate that's going to occur under President-elect Biden's plan? Absolutely, Scott. So some of the proposals go something like this. Basically, <clears throat> historically, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the top corporate rate was 35 percent. OK. And then with the Tax Cuts and Job Act effective um, a couple of years ago, that rate was lowered down to 21 percent, which is a very low rate, one of the lowest rates actually in the world. Now there's discussion. The proposal basically is looking to raise that to 28 percent which is basically taking the low rate of 21% where we're at today 
looking at the high rate of 35% that we had in the past. And if you just do an average, there seems to be a compromise to raise that up to 28%. So that'll be a 7% increase in tax rate for corporate America, and which is quite substantial, along with potential other changes, bringing back something called the alternative minimum tax. So corporations potentially will be subject to the, the alternative minimum tax again, but only on very, very large corporations where their incomes would be in excess of $100 million. That, that potentially may come back into the law as well. Um, so those are the key tax changes in the corporate area. They're pretty substantial concerning the tax costs, and that's gonna affect a lot of major corporations, especially a lot of the Wall Street companies and, uh, and so forth and so on. So we have to keep an eye on that. And that may prompt, Scott, uh, companies to reconsider uh, their corporation tax status because this tax rate only applies to what's known as regular C corporations, not S corporations, which are flow-through type corporations for individual taxation. So I see a lot of planning ahead in, in, in how tax practitioners will be meeting with their corporate clients to determine if they want to continue as C corporations or not. So we'll leave that maybe for another day to talk about. But those are the key changes in the corporate area. Scott, I might even add something. Again, even though we don't know if those rates might go, go into effect in 2021, if a taxpayer believes they will, they might want to increase their income and lower their, their expenses over the next six weeks and create taxable, uh, uh, taxable income at a rate of 21% this year. So we are advising a lot of clients on that, that you have six weeks to do this, especially if you're a cash, cash basis taxpayer. You might want to look into doing that instead right now, which is, um, could be a very positive situation for you because saving 7% on $100,000, that's a $7,000 savings. Wow, it does make sense uh, when you lay it out like that. What about some tax credits for corporations under this new plan? Sure, they're considering expense. They're they're considering expanding the new market tax credit, and this tax credit makes permanent certain incentives for certain companies investing in poor and maybe underprivileged communities, uh, low-income communities, to try to help uh, incentivize the growth and the economic. Um, improvement of those areas by virtue of a tax credit to companies that invest in these types of um, types of activities. Uh, Scott, majority of the proposed tax credits are more on the individual tax side. Okay. Uh, there are several there. Maybe we can talk about that later on in the, um, in the broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as corporations, though, paying estimated taxes, you know, as they do that throughout the year to kind of anticipate what's going to happen, Don, you were kind of touching on that briefly. You think that it's better for them to to adjust the way that they're planning in anticipation for these changes? Yes. Yes, because it's only a timing difference. And we do believe that this is one of the items that will probably get passed, that there will be some kind of increase in the corporate rate from, 22, from 21 to either 28 or even higher or a little bit lower. But there will be a difference. And therefore, if that does happen, you might want to pay some estimated payments now in advance of that because it's going to be a situation right. where you will have higher taxable income in 2020 than 2021. Right. And, and Scott, to add one other point on corporate before we move on, as, as everybody probably knows for individual tax rates, they're all based on brackets 
and ascending scales of tax rates from the lowest to the highest. In the corporate area, that was the case several years ago. But with the, with the current corporate tax rate of 21%, that might go to 28%, the viewers need to, the listeners need to understand that that's a flat tax rate. There are no brackets, and there won't be any brackets for the proposed plan. So if a company makes a little bit of money or a lot of money, it's a flat rate of 21, potentially going up to 28%. Uh, that's an important factor because that could be very expensive for certain corporations because they will not get the benefit of lower rates. It's a flat rate, period, and that's it. Well, you mentioned brackets and affecting individuals, and this was one of the topics that it was widespread across social media, thanks in part to rapper 50 Cent, who publicly said he didn't want to become 20 Cent (laughs) under uh, President-elect Joe Biden. Um, But it's important that the general public understand that some of these tax raises under this Biden plan won't affect individuals who make less than $400,000 per year, correct? You're right, Scott. But what's interesting about that is we assume, and that's probably a scary thing to do, but we assume that means net taxable income. But, Scott, we don't know. It could be based on gross income, adjusted gross income, or net taxable income. So we just need to be clear on that. So we're waiting for details like we typically do with most proposals. So. Stay tuned on that one. <laughs> but how would how would someone like 50 Cent become 20 Cent if this is affected, if this is affecting him? I'll give you one example of that, and that is really the individual tax rates, where they want to uh, uh, raise the rates from the, the current rate of 37% to 39.6%. Um, and if they do that, uh, that will obviously have an increase of 2.6%. So someone making the kind of money that 50 cent is, is making, that can have a major impact on him because he'll be paying 2.6% more on whatever income he's probably earning. Yeah, and that's a lot of dough uh, to somebody like that. Um, you mentioned, though, Mike, that it, it, and the differences, whether it's taxable income, gross income, or, or any other assets that you're kind of paying taxes on. So when you actually factor in the amount of money that somebody is being taxed on, it's it's more than just, you know, maybe the top 1% that's going to be affected by this proposed plan. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so to sum it up, Scott, basically, and Don accurately pointed out the maximum rate potentially changing to 39.6, but it seems like once you get to that $400,000 threshold, anybody over that will have a tax increase of some amount of money because the tax rates the higher tax rates will apply to taxpayers at, at incomes of $400,000 or more. We don't have the details, Scott, but we do know that if you look at the basic charts, uh, somebody earning $400,000, let's say a married couple is going to pay it based on X percentage. Now, with this Biden plan, potentially income over $400,000 will pay a higher rate based on the graduated uh, layering of those uh, brackets. So that's the other rate. Increase, but the other big hidden rate increase is something called the Qualified Business Income Deduction or the QBI deduction with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I'm going to do very basic with this because it is quite involved. Uh, taxpayers who had flow through income from a business or a partnership or their sole proprietorship were generally allowed to take a deduction up to 20% of their income to not be taxed. So eventually, some of these taxpayers only pay tax on 80% of their income, not 100% of their income, which meant their maximum tax rate 
of 39.6 dropped down to about 29%, which was huge. This proposal that we're talking about today will phase out some of this QBI deduction or some of this 20% deduction for taxable incomes over $400,000. Now, we don't have the details. So to answer your question about how someone, uh, how 50 cent goes to less in, in value, uh, the wrapper that you mentioned by way of example, if he has a lot of this 20% qualified business deduction and it gets phased out and he's making over $400,000, then he will be subject to a much larger tax increase on top of the tax rate going from 37% to 39.6. That's gonna be a major change to a lot of taxpayers that we don't have the details yet on, Scott. Don, what about investment income? How is that gonna be affected? Well, investment income, it depends what your tax bracket is, but that can change dramatically because they're talking about making investment income for those making more than a million dollars that will be taxed potentially at the standard income rate instead of the capital gain rate. So that's a huge difference for the one percenters because they're going to have a large, that's going to be a large increase in taxes for them. Hmm. Um, I think the most, one of the biggest taxes that people are not looking at yet, Scott, though, especially on the individual level, and this is something you might, they might be able to work on before this year is over, is the increase in the payroll taxes. And let me give you an example. If somebody makes more than $400,000 a year in earned income, uh, the, the, current, the new law, if it does get passed, will tax your Social Security at 6.2% of that. So therefore, I'm going to pick on you, Scott. Let's just say that Scott is making more than $400,000 a year if you were to get a, a bonus of 6.2%, that would cost them $6,200. At the same time, that would cost your employer $6,200 because he has to match that money. Um, in that situation, maybe Scott can go up to his employer and say, listen, if you're going to give me a $100,000 bonus, Give it to me in 2020 instead of 2021. Hmm. And, if, and if he is an accrual basis taxpayer, it really won't hurt him either way, but it will save you potentially $6,200. I bet you that's something that not a lot of people are thinking about when because, you know, people see bonuses and they're like, great, I'm, it's, I'm getting extra money. They're not looking at how they're going to be taxed on that extra money. And when you lay it out like that, it really does complicate things and, and makes you think about how much you're you're giving up practically. Yeah, and let's pretend, for, for example, now you're a self-employed person. That means that you're paying that additional 6.2% yourself. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden it becomes 12.4%. So on that extra $100,000 of income, you're now paying $12,400. And if you happen to be in that high tax bracket uh, in 2021, you can have an additional 2.6. So all of a sudden, you're almost at, uh, you're basically at 15% tax increase in taxes <laughs> yeah. on your earned income. Yeah, uh, I don't really like the sound of that. Uh, what about tax credits? Mike, let's get into some of these tax credits for individuals and how the Biden plan changes some of those. 
sure, Scott. Absolutely. There are, there are a few here. Let me outline them first, and then we can dive into maybe one or two. Um, it's a credit for health insurance, increased credit for dependent care. Uh, there's a credit now for long-term care insurance and a credit for first-time home buyers. So uh, the one that maybe the listeners might be very interested now, in my opinion, would be a potential credit for being a first-time home buyer, mm -hmm. which is basically a credit, and a credit means dollar for dollar, Scott, against your income taxes, not a deduction. A credit means that if you have $1,000 in tax due and you have a $1,000 credit, you pay zero tax in that example. A credit is dollar for dollar. Now, the credit, it could be up to 10% of the purchase price of the home to a maximum of $7,500 credit, and that's going to depend upon a person's adjusted gross income limit. So basically, the way it's outlined in the plan, for married individuals filing jointly, um, the income limits are between one hundred and fifty and $170,000, and for singles, it's around one twenty-five dollars to $145,000. So to get this credit, you have to have income below certain amounts. If your income is over certain amounts, you won't get the credit. So the credit is supposed to be a stimulus for uh, taxpayers making a little less money than other taxpayers, okay? Mm -hmm. Then there's also a credit out there for health insurance, potentially. When you pay your health insurance, it's a credit to potentially limit families from spending more than 8.5% of their income on health insurance. So what this tells me is, uh, without getting into too much detail, some of these credits are going to be based upon how much you pay for health insurance versus how much insurance um, you can get a credit for. And same thing for dependent care credits for families that are using, um, um, you know, dependent care um, uh, uh, facilities to take care of their children while they're at, at work and things of that nature. And then there's the long-term care insurance credit for those who are paying long-term care insurance uh, to pay for uh, potential nursing home or assisted living facility coverage. There are potential credits there for up to $3,000. But one other really important credit, Scott, we really need to have the, um, the listeners aware of, there's a $2,000 current child care credit available uh, that's been uh, ever since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It's, there was a credit around for a long time prior to that, but it was now available for income levels of under 400000 That credit now is proposed to be increased from $2,000 to $3,000 for children between the ages of 6 and 17, and an increased credit to $3,600 per child for children under 6 years old. So that's very substantial for, income, for, for taxpayers, presumably under $400,000 of income. But again, that $400,000, um, I haven't seen that in the proposal, but this will probably benefit most um, taxpayers. So it's pretty substantial in the credit side. And Don, how would all of this, I'm assuming that a lot of it is in conjunction with things that have already been passed, like the CARES Act, uh, especially, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, whether there's the tax credit for um, child care or whatnot. Is all of this assuming that we're going to go on some of these similar programs throughout, I guess, the first couple of years of, of Biden's uh, term? Yes, yes, uh, you're 100 percent correct. Uh, I believe that uh, Biden mentioned this in, it, in his uh, briefing that nobody under $400,000 will see an increase in uh, tax rates, therefore taxes. And most of these items on the individual side, as Mike mentioned on the credits, are really geared for that person that is making it, or the family with a taxable income is under $400,000. 
One thing that I do think that is interesting, though, is the potential, and Mike, if you, I think you're better at going into this than I am, about using your IRA for your charitable contribution. Because that is something, Scott, that, that uh, taxpayers can do still in 2020 and save money on it. Uh, just so everybody understands, for 2020 and 2020 only, the CARES Act basically suspended uh, what's called RMDs or required minimum distribution from IRAs and pension plans because of the pandemic and the economic problems in this country. However, if uh, anybody still wants to take out their required minimum distribution from their IRA, okay, by way of example, they can still do that although they don't have to, but if they decide to do that and they're charitably inclined, they could take up to $100,000 of that RMD distribution from their IRA, designate that money to go directly to a 501c3 charitable organization of their choice. And if they do that and handle it properly with the technicalities, because you have to dot your I's and cross your T's, then they will not pay tax on that IRA distribution at all as long as that money goes directly to a 501c3 charity, which is, which is very powerful so they can donate more to charity, not pay any income tax on that RMD distribution from their IRA. One caveat, New Jersey does not allow for that provision. Hmm. Under New Jersey law, they still must pay tax on that IRA distribution, and they do not get a charitable deduction in New Jersey for that. So they just the, the listeners need to understand this only works for federal purposes, not for New Jersey purposes. Let me give you one planning uh, uh, situation that taxpayers can do that, based on what Mike was just going over. If I do not itemize my deductions because I don't have a home mortgage and I can only deduct uh, $10,000 of real estate taxes, but I uh, and I pay – $15,000 in contributions to charities, I am not getting the benefit of that $15,000 because if I take the standard deduction, I'm still getting $26,000 plus anyway. Whereas if I give that twenty, that $15,000 through my IRA, the way Mike was mentioning, I lower my adjusted gross income by $15,000 and I still get the $26,000 de um, um, deduction mm -hmm. as far as the standard deduction. Therefore, I am actually getting the benefit of that $15,000. Ah, makes sense. And a lot of people, that, that affects a lot of people right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot. Yeah, good. thank you for laying that out, Don. Uh, what, what other things should the listeners be aware of? In terms of President-elect Biden's tax plans, maybe, you know, any changes in a state tax that we should note here? Uh, Scott, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. We were going to go there. It's very important that we, we outline this for the listeners. But this only applies to very, very high net worth individuals that are worth, you know, 10 to $20 million or more. Uh, if singles worth more than 11 million or marriage at about 22 or 23 million. But basically the way this works is under the current federal statutes, um, there's something called the estate tax. And what that means is when somebody passes away and if their assets are over a certain amount of money, net assets, then they have to pay a 40% tax to the federal government on the excess over certain thresholds. Now, the thresholds currently are 11,580,000 per person, okay? Now, clearly, if, if a person passes away and they're worth less than that, there will not be an estate tax. 
for, but for the very wealthy folks out there, if their estates are over that per person or a married couple, just multiply that number by two, then their estate could be subject to a 40% tax. What the proposals in the law are as follows. The, um, the exemption for um, people passing away potentially if this passes goes down to about $5.8 million, which is roughly half of the $11.5 million. So if somebody passes away under this new plan and they're worth an excess of $5.8 million, their estate will be subject to a tax and not the 40% tax I just mentioned, um, at least 40% and potentially higher. Right now the rate is probably going to be locked at 40%. So, the, so what the planning feature needs to be is, and, and we, we're always planning with respect to this for our high net worth clients, it's, it's, it's advisable once you speak to your advisors and um, your attorney to potentially make transfers during your lifetime to get assets out of your estate at these higher exemption limits because if you can get $11.5 million out of your estate now and the exemption goes down to $5.8 million when you pass away or in this current 2021 year, then that difference of about $5.8 million will never be pulled back into your estate and never be taxable. So there's a way to get $5.8 million out of your estate now and basically save almost $2.3 million of estate tax if you make these transfers before the end of this year instead of next year if this law eventually passes. Now, I want to just be very cautious here. Before anything like this is ever done, extreme detail and due diligence and working with your tax CPA, with your tax attorney, has to be all done and planned out with a complete estate plan before any significant transfers like this are contemplated or executed. But if it all pans out and it seems like the right thing to do, it's very, very important that high net worth people be talking to their CPAs and their attorneys in this, in this regard to potentially consider transfers before the end of this year, Scott. And one more thing I want to add to what Mike just said, that they're talking about not giving people a stepped-up basis, Scott. And this is extremely important, meaning that when someone passes away, under the current law, if I purchased a property for $1 million and now it's worth $10 million, when I pass away, my, whoever inherits that asset get a stepped-up basis to $10 million, and therefore, um, when they sell it, there's no tax on, on, uh, that they have to worry about. Well, if the law changes the way it's the way they're setting it up for it to be, there would be a potential tax, and we're not sure how it's going to work yet, that has to either be paid by the estate on that $9 million or the beneficiaries would get that the basis at $1 million only. And that's why what Mike said is so important to talk to your tax advisors literally right now before 1231 20 is over. This is a lot of information to digest. Uh, Don, I know you and Michael are going to be doing a deeper dive into the post-election tax strategies for both individuals and businesses during a free webinar coming up next week. Correct. It's next Wednesday at 9 o'clock, and we encourage everyone to uh, listen in and sign up for it. Uh, they will be given a, a webinar for at least one hour, and we'll actually have a you know question and answer period that you can answer what with can hopefully answer all your questions. Can Mike and I just add one more item that's really not part of this new tax law, but just happened in New Jersey, which they passed this new law that 
has an immediate impact on subchapter S and partnership uh, companies that they should look at in the next five or six weeks. Mike, would you mind going into that detail a little bit? Okay, sure. So a little background first, Scott, for the listeners. Uh, the Tax Cuts and Job Act uh, limited in the itemized deduction area when individuals file their return. You know, you normally deduct your real estate taxes and your state and local taxes and your itemized deductions if you're allowed to itemize. And those deductions were always allowable to the maximum. As, as per the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that deduction is only limited to a $10,000 threshold. So if you have a high net worth person paying $100,000 a year to New Jersey for income taxes, along with their real estate taxes, they were only allowed to deduct only $10,000 of that, Scott, and lose the difference. New, now, that, that's a major issue. So now New Jersey uh, passed something very, very, very positive. Connecticut and a few other states have done the same thing which basically says in, for 2020, this is the first year it's effective, the entity itself, the partnership, the S corporation, the flow through entity, th th those limits um, can be accomplished by having the entity pay those taxes and those taxes would be deductible on the person's federal tax return by passing the itemized deduction $10,000 cap so there, in that example, if you're paying $10,000 of, of state taxes and your entity pays it on your behalf and you're in the 30% bracket, you will save $30,000 of income taxes on your federal return, whereas under the old method, you could not really save that money because you were capped at $10,000. Very powerful. People should be speaking with their tax accountants uh, immediately on this. We've been doing this with all of our clients. We're ahead of the curve on it. And we're, we're now instituting it so they can get every dollar of savings that's coming to them. Uh, so we, we capture that by the end of this year, Scott. Gentlemen, thank you so much for the information and the insight. And we'll be looking forward to the webinar next week. Thank you, Scott. Some really great information provided by Don and Michael there in regards to President-elect Biden's tax proposals. A reminder, Don and Michael will also be taking a deeper dive into the post-election tax strategies for individuals and businesses during a free webinar on Wednesday, November 18th at 9 a.m. Eastern. Visit cgteam.com slash cg-webinars to register. Again, that's cgteam.com slash cg-webinars to register. And you can always head to cgteam.com where all your questions can be answered by their advisory team. CG offers an array of advisory and consulting services designed to help you and your business reach and exceed your financial goals. The CG team has more than 40 years experience in a variety of industries to provide the specialized support you deserve. From marketing to strategic planning to business operations, CG is focused on your top and bottom line. Best of all, CG advisors are focused on the road ahead and will be with you every step of the way. Visit cgteam.com advisory to learn more about their value-added business advisory and consulting services. Once again, I'm Scott Seidenberg. Thank you for tuning in to the CG Business Advisor podcast. And a reminder, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts from or simply check us out at cgteam.com.